Welcome to the Shoot Podcast Live FM 88.7911. We are live with the Shoot Podcast here tonight. I am your host, Shoe. Welcome to Shoe Radio. We are live and hi. Hi. Um What what are you what do you what are you up to? I'm I'm recording this podcast right now. And uh it's January 23rd, 2019. Third podcast of 2019 because I got lazy about recording a podcast last week. I'm so lazy. I can't even go a month on my proper schedule for podcasting. Um, But whatever. I made a podcast. I'm making a podcast right now. Um, I got to get over the fact that it's 2019. It's fucking with 23 days into 2019. I'm still like, 2019, am I right? Um, You don't feel that? You don't feel that way? Okay. Uh, I don't know. How are you? I was I was thinking about Hello Kitty. Um, you what? You don't you don't think about Hello Kitty a lot? Because it's pretty much all I think about, if I'm being honest. But yeah, I was thinking about Hello Kitty, and uh, when you think about it, Hello Kitty that's a weird fucking name. Her name is Hello Kitty. Like, her first name is Hello. That, it's like, what? Your your name is Hello. That's her first name. Her first name is a greeting. How fucking weird is that? Imagine if, you you know, you're, like, there's a teacher doing roll call. They're like, all right, uh, David here. Uh, Casey here. Uh, Aloha here. It's like, what? What was the last one? That, that, that one. Someone's called Aloha. What the fuck is going on? You know, it's it's weird that her name is Hello, the most commonly used English greeting of all. T- That's just it's just weird. It's like, hi, uh, I'm, I'm Shu. Uh, what's your name? Hello. Hi. Uh, so what, what's your name, though? Hello. Yeah. Um, hi. Okay. T- tell me your name. Hello? Fuck you. What the fuck would... What did I do to you? You know, it's just weird. It's kind of an awkward... I don't know. When, when Hello Kitty walks by, and you're like, Hello! That's, that's the only time... It's not degrading because you're just saying her name. You're just saying... It's not offensive when it's literally catcalling. You know what I mean? It's just... It's just... Hello is your name, so... I just wanted to say your name as you walked by. All cute and shit. So, um, yeah. Also, her last name is is Kitty. Like her first name is Hello, which is weird as fuck. But also, her last name is Kitty. Her last name is basically the species that she is. What the? F- it's like someone asked me, sir, what's your uh, what's your last name? Uh, human. What? Yeah, they. Uh, you can call me Mister Human. And you're. Your first name is Hello. What the fuck? You know, it's just weird that that's her name, Hello Kitty. I don't, I don't know. And now she's like one of the most iconic characters of Japanese entertainment. Like, what is her character even? I remember reading an article that was like, because I read articles in Hello Kitty. Um, <laughs> I remember reading an article that's talking about the, the the genius of Hello Kitty is that the, the Hello Kitty is nothing it's there's no, it's could be anybody because we what who what character traits 
does Hello Kitty have? She just looks cute. But I don't know what she's like. Is she like introvert or extrovert? You know what I mean? Like, is, is Hello Kitty introverted or extroverted? I don't know because she has no personality, you know? But maybe that's because she was cute and popular her whole life. So that's maybe why she has no personality. I don't know. I'm tr- I'm trying to bring back a bit of the the riffing on stupid topics, if you can see, because I got lazy and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna prep a little bit, and um, it's uh, it's a shit show. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was Harvey Weinstein because you gotta. I went from Hello Kitty, and then I was like, oh yeah, there's also Harvey Weinstein, and um. Yeah, like movies, the the movies that he's uh, he had his hand on or like that his company made are like come down in theaters right now. Like the, um, I forgot what it was called. I think it's called The Upside. The, 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 the movie that's out right now with Kevin Hart that's like the um, remake of that French movie. And that movie, I think, was uh, created by the Weinstein Company. And it's just weird. Now we're just getting all these movies um, post Weinstein that like, he touched because he was the fucking biggest, uh, you know, Hollywood producer, right? We just get, we're getting this weird, like, cinematic residue, so to speak. It is crazy that Harvey Weinstein was, he was, he was the, 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 he was the big guy in Hollywood. He was out there just like, yeah, yeah, dude, I, uh, I get bitches. You know, what it is, is I, I use this, uh, I use this technique. It's called rape. You know, have you, yeah, it's like, I use rape as a technique and uh, the cool thing, it works every time. It works every time. That's the cool, 100% effective. Like, he's not even Me Too. You know, I mean, I mean he is Me Too, but he's like, if anything, the original Me Too. He started the whole shit. But, I, I mean, he, he's like transcends Me Too. He's just straight up rape. You know, one of the worst moral crimes like any person could ever. He's He's rape. He, he just raped all the time, you know? He was producing Hollywood movies while raping. Like, what the fuck is... is you know, while, while other people, you know, on set, set, they're, like, taking their smoke break and shit. He's like, yeah, I'll be right back. I'll just... I'm just gonna go for a quick rape. I just gotta, you know... You know how it is when you... You gotta be raping, you know? Rapists be raping. Um, yeah, it's just fucking weird, huh? That he was doing... He was raping... And he was also the biggest dude in Hollywood. Holy sh... How fucked up is our society that that was, like, just cool for decades? Holy shit. You know how people say, like, Dr. Dre? More like Dr. Gay, you know? It's like Harvey Weinstein? More like rape. He's just... He's just... He's a rapist. He ju- He's a rapist, you know? I don't know. It was a dawning on me, like, holy fuck, man. He was, like, the top... He was, like, the president of Hollywood, basically. <laughs> I was, maybe I'm being too harsh. You know, he was, you know, he was uh, he was really good as the bull during Indiana Jones. So I'll give him that. That was a good... That was a good performance. Yeah. H- Harvey Weinstein looks like if, if chewed gum had white privilege. That's what he looks like. That's... I'm all... Again, that's it. That's the last thought on Harvey Weinstein. So... Let's get to the main topic, shall we? (laughs) 
What a garbage intro. What the fuck am I, you know? We, we, we go from Hello Kitty to Harvey Weinstein. And now the philosophy of time. That's what I'm talking about. That's what makes for a good podcast. Uh, but yeah, today's main topic is uh, one I've been pretty excited about. In fact, uh, this topic, uh, I've been chewing on it for so long. That's kind of why I didn't make a podcast last week because I wanted to do it on this topic, but I just didn't feel I was ready yet. I needed to uh, read a little bit more, get my thoughts together. And I think I finally, um, this is probably the best I can do. So we'll see how this podcast goes on uh, podcast goes on the philosophy of time, more specifically, Eastern philosophy on time. And even more specifically, the Buddhist perspective of time. So why the fuck uh, do I want to talk about time for this podcast? Um, well, you know, talking about the philosophy or physics of time, it's kind of it's kind of cool in itself. You know, time is it's like mindfuck material. No, it's just like, whoa, d- dude, LSD, dude. So, you know, it's just it's just cool to talk about. But uh, more importantly, I just uh, there's, there's at the end of last year, right? I read a book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind uh, by this dude, Shunryu Suzuki. Um, I, I only read it because uh, he, he's my favorite YouTuber. Eric Dodson recommended it. He was saying shit like it rewired his brain and something. I was like, oh, I'm down for that. So I read it. And usually when you come in with the expectation of something like that, it's like, oh, this is going to change my mind. It's going to blow my, you know, you're going to get disappointed. But. In this case, and maybe it was a self-fulfilling thing, right? Like, this one's going to change my mind. And then I was like, whoa. But I did. I felt noticeably different. Like, during the whole, like, experience of the book, it was just like I was, by the end, I felt different. It was an experience. It wasn't necessarily that I like I learned a new concept or anything. In fact, a lot of it... Uh, treads ground that you know all, all these familiar Buddhist concepts or the, the concepts I'd been familiar with uh, prior to reading the book, but for, for some reason I just felt different in a way that you know I, I couldn't quite articulate. And you know that was last year, the end of last year. And and uh, after doing some more reading over the past, what is this now? Like two, three weeks, three weeks or so. Um. I think I have a better understanding of why I feel different. And I believe it is at least partially because my views on time have evolved. Yeah, my views on time have evolved. And, and the key idea here is the key idea here that I'm, I'm going to try to push throughout this podcast is that time is an illusion. Time is is an illusion. Now, that sounds kind of crazy, kind of woo-woo. I I might as well say, like, yeah, so there's ghosts, you know, out there, or, like, yesterday I was abducted by aliens. Like, it's kind of... If if, if any, maybe the abducted by aliens shit is more believable than time doesn't exist, dude. You know, it's kind of like, holy shit, you got new age there, shoe. I mean... What the fuck is that Zoloft doing to your brain? Why are you even like, this is like beyond religion where you're just going back into religion. Like what the fuck is happening? I know it sounds stupid as fuck. And I just sound like, you know, a stoner. basically. <laughs> but I drew this, you know, what was that? Was sound kind of crazy. You know, of course, time's real and it's not an illusion. What are you talking about? But Eastern philosophy 
and modern physics suggest otherwise. Um, modern physics especially, by the way, I want to include in this podcast, but this script already is, this is probably going to be the longest podcast I've made. The script itself, at least, is uh, the longest script I've, I've written down. And uh, so I wanted to fit in the physics, but um, yeah, there's just no space. So maybe at some point, or for the book I read, read on it, on the uh, you know sci- scientific perspective on time. Uh, according to you know contemporary uh, physicists, is called The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli, and uh, is a good book. At the end, have the second half, or, uh, th- or part three of th- um, three parts, I guess. The part three is really confusing. Uh, I don't think I understood any of it, but part one and two, pretty clear about um, the nature of time, and uh, just much of it aligns with the Buddhist perspective on time. Anyways, either way, I'm going to try to give you my understanding of the Buddhist perspective of time. And it's going to be confusing as fuck, but I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible, as digestible as possible. And then by the end of this podcast, if you give it a chance, you could be like, oh, that's true. Or shoot you are just as you're exactly as crazy as i thought you were you are this is so retarded i can't even begin to you know it's just i i get it it's a weird concept i'll just do my best to explain it and then you either take or leave it yeah okay cool um and credit where credit is due the two main books i'm going to be referencing um or where on much of the two books that much of this podcast is built on is uh, uh, two books by David Loy, who is turning out to be you know, one of my favorite authors. Uh, his book, Lack and Transcendence, and then his book on uh, non-duality, called Non-Duality. All right. So here's a quick outline of the podcast before we get right into it. I'm going to start with a really brief summary of our you know conventional conception of time, right? How we usually experience time, what we usually believe uh time is right and really brief because that's our default we kind of know that uh what we believe time to be uh uh yeah what we believe time to be and then from there we're going to go into the buddhist perspective on time right the first part why time is something we create and why it causes us to suffer so kind of the phenomenology of time how time uh is um from our conscious experience so to speak and the second part and the second part's going to be a little bit confusing, so I'm going to be try to keep it as short as possible. But uh, it's on why time cannot be said to be this external objective property of the universe. Why it can't be uh, exist independent of us in the universe. I would say, you know, because the first part kind of suggests like, okay, if we t- create time, maybe we're just like, you know, the Buddhists are just deluding themselves into this lie about time. But if you look closely at the universe uh, around us, uh, there doesn't seem to be something we can pinpoint as to, oh, this is time. And then uh, number three, this gets back to really the heart of what I want to talk about, which is what remains when we see through the illusion of time? What's there? What's left? When time simply ceases to exist. And finally, because all of that is going to be pretty confusing, I'm going to you know, basically give you a real summary and apply it to my life, which is, it's about uh, how my sense of time is at the root of my anxieties about this upcoming date I have tomorrow with the with this girl I like, you know, um, 
So it, I think I think by applying it to my life, it makes it more personal and makes it more digestible, right? Um, the, the, I, these concepts about time are important because um, I see it like this and it applies to my life like this and it can apply to your lives like this because I, I don't really fucking care about time. It's cool to talk about and shit, but I don't give a fuck. I only give a fuck because it makes a difference to how we live our lives. It, it, it alters our well-being, affects our moment by moment, like kind of happiness, our feeling in this world. That's why, you know, any of this philosophy shit matters to me. I want to read because I want to live, right? And live well. So that's, you know, the core of it. And and I, I really, this is, you know, it's going to be a confusing concept, but... Like I said, after reading Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, I felt noticeably different, noticeably happier. And I think a lot of it has to do with how I see time. So here we go. First off, let's start with the conventional conception of time, our usual way of experiencing time, a really quick summary of how we tend to experience time, right? Uh, this one's described by the physicist Carlo Rovelli in his Order of Time book. But here, we usually usually we experience time as something that, quote, flows uniformly and equally throughout the universe, unquote, right? The, the idea is that there's this objective property out there called time that flows in one direction and it's equal everywhere in the universe, right? There's a there's a past that's fixed, unchangeable, something that's it's already happened, right? We can't go back to it. And then there's future where, you know. It's open to change. That's still, she hasn't been determined. She hasn't happened yet, right? It's still out there. We're about to experience it, but not yet. And then there is a present, the right now, right? So the, the, as Carl Ravelli puts it, reality flows from the past through the present and towards the future. And I think a good analogy for our uh, you know, usual experience of time is kind of an ant walking in a string of beads, right? And let's say the ant, you know, uh, uh, is, is reality <laughs> and the ant represents reality okay and the ants walking um in one direction across the string of beads and uh the beads that the ant has already crossed are basically the past right the beads that the ant has yet to cross the future and the bead that the ant is on right now is the present so then in this usual experience of um time the present is essentially just you know viewed as a series of nows right that arise and fall away consecutively right as the ant goes from bead to bead to bead to bead to bead that's kind of how we experience the present right it's like oh this moment this moment this moment this moment this moment flowing going from future present past right that's how we tend to see time i i hope that wasn't too confusing I, it pretty much aligns with um your uh, common sense notion of time no but this conception of time, according to Eastern philosophy, as well as modern physics, although we won't touch on that on this podcast, this conception of time is wrong. Instead, they posit that time is an illusion. I feel like I keep fucking it up every time I try to say time is an illusion, and it doesn't come out well. But what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is time is an illusion. So let's start to delve into the Buddhist perspective on time. Let's get right into it. The first idea I need to cover, that, that the self is an illusion. 
the self is an illusion. And uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I did go uh, much deeper into it in the previous podcast, Heidegger versus Buddhism. So if you want to get to know more about that, I highly recommend you uh, listen to that podcast first and then come back to this. But if you're too lazy, here's you know basic gist of it. The self is an illusion, right? By default, we have this, we have the sense of self, this feeling of self, of this I don't know, ego self entity called shoe fucking inside my head, you know, perched behind my eyes, looking out at a world that's separate from me, right? I have this feeling that there's a a sort of center to my consciousness and that there's kind of a mental CEO uh, inside my head, controlling my body, thinking my thoughts, right? But this feeling of self is just that, a feeling There's no inner shoe that's, you know, thinking the thoughts in my head. There's no shoe that was basically the same entity from uh, the day I was born to the present moment, right? This feeling of self is just a feeling. There is no self. And when through things like meditation, when you observe your mind, you realize there's just flow, change, flux, but nothing static or concrete that we can call the self. And this feeling of self is always concomitant with a feeling of lack, right? The feeling of self and the feeling of lack accompany each other. We have this feeling of self, but because the self does not exist as a real concrete entity, the feeling of self brings along with it a feeling of lack, which is the feeling that somehow we're not whole, we're not complete, we're not real enough, and most of us experience this feeling of lack as the sense that, you know, that there's, there's something wrong with me. I'm not happy. I'm not complete. I'm not there. Yeah, I, I don't know. But something is wrong with me as I am right now. Something's missing. And so to fill in that lack, right, to satisfy this feeling of lack and make ourselves feel, you know, happier or more complete someday so that we can extinguish this feeling of lack, we embark on various projects, right? We do, you know, I don't know, try to get fame or popularity, uh, romantic love, right? Girlfriend, uh, money, uh, engage in all these fulfilling projects, try to make a name for yourself, etc., etc., etc. We do all these things to try to fill in this feeling of lack. But the tragedy about our efforts to satisfy this lack, to fill in this lack, is that it can ultimately never be satisfied no matter what we do as long as we cling to this feeling of self. Our projects, in other words, are doomed to fail. And now, this is where time comes in. Let's start with this. The feeling of lack that I've just described, right? This sense that something is wrong with me, that I'm not quite there yet, that I'm not complete, that I'm not happy enough. This feeling of lack makes the present deeply uncomfortable, right? The feeling of lack, as I said before, is a suspicion that I'm not real, right? That that the ego self that I think I always am actually does not exist. And according to Buddhism, it's true. You don't exist. So to avoid confronting the nothingness, that lurks in the present, or right? to avoid facing the truth that the self is but an illusion, right? The, 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 we don't actually exist, at least in the way we think we do. You know, to avoid experiencing this sort of ego death, so to speak, we focus on the past and the future. 
We focused our, focus our mental efforts on the future or on the past so we don't have to confront the truth that is revealed in the present, which is that the self doesn't exist, so that we don't have to deal with this feeling of lack. In other words, time is our way of escaping the feeling of lack. Time is our way of escaping the feeling of lack. So let's give an example. For, for instance, when we focus on the future, right? When we focus on the future, right, the prospect of a day when we will finally attain everything we want, right? And live that good life. When finally we can satisfy this feeling of lack, fill it in. When we focus on the future, we avoid dealing with the feeling of lack lurking in this present moment, right? The future sort of becomes this like blank space on which we can project our hopes and dreams. And, you know, the future essentially promises us that someday this feeling that, that something's wrong with us, that something's missing, that we're not enough yet, that that feeling will go away. And finally, we'll achieve what we always wanted. We'll be full or whole or happy or complete. Seneca put it best, um, the Roman uh, Stoic philosopher, he says, the greatest obstacle to living is expectation, which depends on tomorrow and wastes today. So clearly, when we focus all our mental efforts on the future, we neglect what's happening right here and purposefully so. But that's not it, right? There's also the past. What about the past? When we dwell on the past and, you know, infuse it with the, the warmth of nostalgia, let's say. When we dwell on the past, we can also avoid deal with, dealing with the feeling of lack that's here lurking in the present moment in the same way that we do with the future, right? The past instead, though, allows us to imagine a time when, you know, we felt loved and happy and complete. There was a time when I was happy, when I had this thing, when there was little or no lack. There was that time. We cling to the past because, oh my God, things were good, so good back then. They were so good back then, but now I don't have that thing. I lost the thing and that I, I'm no longer complete. I'm punished with this feeling of lack. Right? Our memories of the past and our expectations about the future, they allow us to imagine a time when there was or uh, will be, depending on past or future, but the idea is when there was or will be no feeling of lack. Time allows us to escape this feeling of lack. And that's why we create it. And more on that in a bit. But let me just quote uh, a couple of philosophers that I think will make uh, things a little bit clearer. First, David Loy. Uh, Time is the canvas we erect before us to hide the sneering skull, the bottomless void. On that canvas, we paint the dreams that fascinate us because they dist distract us from our immediate situation and offer the hope of filling up our sense of lack. Um, Hannah Arendt, I think, and I think that's how you say it. Uh, she's the person who coined the banality of evil uh, term, but she says, time is generated by the mind's restlessness. It's stretching out to the future, its projects, and it's negation of the present state. What am I trying to say here? In other words, we create time to make it possible to finally fill in our feeling of lack, to finally feel, fill that feeling of lack someday, or reminisce about a world where 
or feeling of lack didn't exist, right? Either way, we use time to escape this feeling of lack. I think it's becoming clear here. The feeling of self, the feeling of lack, and our sense of time are deeply intertwined, right? The feeling of self is always attached to a feeling of lack because there is no self. And the feeling of lack is our intuition that this feeling of self is an illusion, right? The self is an illusion. And we have our sense of time because we want to fill in that sense of lack in some way and form and make this feeling of self more real. But that project is doomed to fail. Those three are interrelated, clearly, right? So to put it simply, the self is time. The self is time. As I'll go on to uh, expand on a little bit later, we're not beings inside this objective container called time, or rather the feeling of self is almost indistinguishable from the experience of time. They're one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. The self is time. And if the feeling of self gives birth to time, then, as David Lloyd puts it, to end the self is to end time. To end the self is to end time. As I say, not only does the dissolution of the feeling of self through things like mindfulness, mindfulness meditation and shit um, extinguish the feeling of lack that comes with it, but it also dissolves our usual experience of time. Now, shit's getting a little bit confusing here, but bear with me. I'm going to relate it right now to why this matters. Right? You might say, cool, to end the self is to end the end time. Whatever the fuck that means. Why Am I listening to this, man? Why is it important for us to transcend our usual conception of time, to see through the illusion of time? Like, why should I give a fuck? Well, I think it's becoming a little bit clearer to you, but let's make this startlingly clear. It's because time, our usual experience of time, lies at the heart of human suffering. Because time, <laughs> uh, it's because time lies at the heart of human suffering, right? We we usually desperately want to hold on to time, right? Something we imagine is external to us. In fact, Seneca, the Roman uh, philosopher I just quoted a while ago, said time is the most valuable commodity because it seems that we can't experience or appreciate anything else in our life. Without time, right? It's like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want that. But you can't experience it without time. And the tragedy of this usual way of looking at time is that every nanosecond that we exist, we have less and less and less time, right? Simply by existing, time slips away from our fingers, you know, no matter how strongly we try to hold on to it. It's like, no, I, I want to live more. I, I don't want to die yet, but, but the, the time just keeps on going. We try to seize it, and yet it keeps on running on. As Kierkegaard said, time doesn't exist without unrest. Built in to our sense of time is a kind of deep, deep unrest. But if, as Buddhism posits, we can dissolve time, our our usual sense of time, completely by letting go of our feeling of self, 
then we're freed from time and the existential anguish that's built into it, right? The lack, the anxiety, the lack anxiety, so to speak, that accompanies it. Right? If we realize, as I'm going to explain in a bit, that time isn't an objective property of the universe outside of us, you know, if we realize we aren't in time, but we actually are time, right? The self is time. We are time. The self, the feeling of self is indistinguishable from our sense of time, right? If we are time, then we no longer need to cling on to anything because there's nothing to cling to. Like time doesn't slip away from our fingers because we are time. And if we are time, right, we create this shit that's suffering so much and making us suffer so much, then we're free from it. All we need to do is let go. Now, obviously easier said than done. But before I get into how understanding this the conception of time can make us happier, the shit that really matters, the shit that I really uh, hope to make clear, let me first touch on the second point I want to make, which is about the metaphysics of time. Yeah, um, I only want to touch onto this. I don't really want to get into it too much because it's confusing as fuck. I'm going to do my best. I, th- I don't know how, maybe you're already fucking confused. It's confusing, yeah? But um, this part's going to be even more confusing. <laughs> so, so I don't know why I'm doing this, but this is why. I'm t- I want to talk about the mes- metaphysics of time because you might be feeling like, okay, cool, we can dissolve our feeling of time, right? But that doesn't mean that time doesn't exist out there as an objective property of the universe. Like maybe you might feel like Buddhists are deluding themselves into thinking that time is an illusion, right? Oh, and that makes them happier. But out there in the real world, time still exists. You know, you might feel that way. And so that's why I just want to touch on a bit of the metaphysics of time because I want to make the point that if anything, the Buddhist perspective of time isn't getting you further away from the things the way things actually are, but actually closer, more aligned with the way things actually are, with reality as it is. And, and here's my thing. It's going to get a little confusing, almost inherently so, because because language is inherently dualistic and I'm trying to expand on a non-dual view of time and so blah, 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 whatever. The point is, it's going to be a little confusing, um, more confusing than it already has been. So just bear with me for this small section and then we'll get into why time uh, or the letting go of our usual sense of time can make us happier. Okay, here. Here's what I want to say. First of all, everything in the universe is changing in a constant state of flux, right? It's ever evolving, right? We, we, we put these boundaries between us and everything in the world, right? Like here's me and here's the chair and there's this static solid object called the chair that is always the chair. But no, these objects are clearly our mental constructs, our projections onto our perceptions, onto the world, right? Really the chair isn't chair, but it's actually just, it's just change, right? It's fucking atoms and shit moving around and all this like, I don't know, physics shit, this electric, electromagnetic fields and shit. I don't know, but you get my point. Like, obviously, my body, there's not a cell in my body that's the same uh, or uh, identical to a cell in my body when I was, uh, you know, when I was one or something, right? Clearly, I've been a, a completely different being. Everything in this world is changing, right? There's only change. And we put all these arbitraries between this is the computer and this is air and this is me. And it's like, we're all divided. But no, we're all just, this is just one stuff. We're all just this change and flux. 
right? That's why the concept of there is no self is so important, right? Because the self is a static, concrete entity that I am. But, but if there is no self, then there's only change. I'm just part and parcel of the universe's uh, incessant flux, right? And this, the fact that the, everything in the universe is changing poses a problem for our usual understanding of time, right? We experience ourselves as in time, right? That's why the idea of we are, we are time sounds so weird because it's like, no, I'm in time. I experience this object. I'm in an objective container called time, right? And I move along that. But as David Lloyd puts it, time cannot be this objective container unless there is something for it to contain, objects. And as I made clear, there are no static solid objects, right? A chair really isn't a chair, right? It's just flux. It's just fucking change and flux and, you know, and that's it, right? Like everything in the world, right? There is no inherent chairness to the chair. No, we just project that concept out. We just project that concept onto this, you know, uh, configuration of atoms that we would like to call a chair, So if everything is changing and thus there are no solid static objects like a chair or a computer or air or self, then there can be no container because there's nothing for the container to contain, right? The concept of a container depends on something that can be contained inside the container. Now, you probably want to shoot me in the face because that was so fucking confusing. (laughs) Even I'm confused. (laughs) But here, here's my trial number two. Okay, this is this. I hope this, uh, uh, you know, makes it sink in. Here, what I'm trying to say is, if everything is changing, then there is nothing solid and static, right? And there's nothing solid and static that we can measure the changing of time against. There's only change everywhere. Right. If we want to measure the changing of time, the flow of time, there must be solid, something solid, static, concrete, this entity that's like a solid object that we can measure time against. And usually that's the sense of self. We think that there's a self that's static. And that's why we experience, oh, the change of time. There is time. I'm inside time because we believe ourselves to be a solid, static object. But no, if we're not, if there is no self and there's only change everywhere, then there's nothing static that the change of time can be measured against. Still confusing? For sure. All right. One more try to let me try to help you uh, help this metaphysical point about time sink in. And if it doesn't, fuck it. We're still going to move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's, here's like a metaphor that I think will, that will help an analogy. Imagine a rock that rests in a river. Okay. There's a rock resting in a river. You could be on the rock or floating in the river current, right? You could be at rest or in movement, right? Think of point A, you're on the rock, or point B, you're floating past the rock in the river current, right? Imagine that. There's there's a rock and a river current. You know, maybe you can see you can see the top of the rock um, above the river. So there's there's you can see that it's at rest uh, compared to the flow of the river. And either you're on point A on top of the rock at rest. Or point B, where you're, you know, flowing along with the river past the rock uh, in movement. But these ideas of rest and movement are concepts that depend on each other, right? They have a dualistic kind of like uh, relationship. The rock is at rest 
only in contrast to the flowing river current, right? We can only say it's at rest compared to the movement, the flow of the river current around it. And the river current is flowing and moving only in contrast to a static solid rock, right? We can only say it's moving in contrast to something solid at rest. But if, as Buddhism posits, there is no, there's never been a solid static object called the rock, right? The thing we call the rock is really Dwayne Johnson. But also, <laughs> I feel like most of you knew that was coming. I, I wasn't even planning on saying that, but uh, just came in my head. So I feel uh, we're, we're all on the same page on this one. We all, we all saw it coming. Okay. So anyways, if there is no solid static object called a rock, then, you know, if, if, if this rock is, is just a projection of our mental concepts, right? If it's just a mental construct. What we're actually looking at is just flow, just change, the ever changing, you know, configuration of molecules and shit like that, right? If this rock is itself also part and parcel of the ever changing flux of life, then if, and you know, if everything has changed, then the concepts of rest and movement become meaningless because they need something solid to measure against. Or it, it, put it another way, uh, I feel like it's going to make it more confusing. But um, the other way to put it is everything is solid. That the river for, uh, current is actually just solid. So everything is so solid. And that's what you get with the Advaita Vedanta, the kind of Hindu philosophy about how everything is, um, I think it's called Brahman, you know, like the everything is one soul, basically. Um, I like the Buddhist interpretation better. But uh, either way, if everything is changing, then time, which is necessarily the concept of something changing against something solid or static, ceases to exist. And that's what I mean when I said the previous thing of if everything is changing, then there is nothing solid or static that we can measure the changing of time against. Everything is change. So then there is no thing we can pinpoint to called time. There's nothing we can measure time against. Now, um, you can want to kill me. Um, it's confusing, I know. But that's okay. I don't find this stuff particularly important, right? Like, if you're confused by this, so am I. I'm doing my best here, but this shit is out of my league, you know what I mean? I'm trying my best, but I'm confused as well. And it's almost impossible to, like, as I said, language is inherently dualistic. So it's just impossible for me to accurately articulate the, uh, the, 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 the non-dual conception of time that Buddhism posits through language. We can only get as close as possible. But the important thing is, I don't think you need this deep intellectual understanding of non-dual temporality, because I certainly don't, to recognize the suffering that time creates for us, right? That I referred to before. And so, if we can get let go of the sense of time, what's left? And this is part three of this whole thing about the Buddhist perspective of time that I really want to get into. Get into. And I think is the most important. How letting go of our sense of time can make us happier. Here's what it is. If there's no time, right? Or at least time as we usually conceive of it in this like usual uh, conception of it. What's left? What do we have if there's no time? What's left is perhaps best called 
the eternal now. Now, that sounds really like woo-woo, like eternal now. That just sounds like another word for God or some shit like that. It's not. But if you don't want to use that word, here's the core concept. By eternal now, I mean it is always now. It is always now. And I think this is the kind of idea realization that sank in on an experiential level for me when I read uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Right, This idea is what reshaped how I view the universe and how I experience my life moment by moment, right? Like it's, it's clearly, it's not that I'm not a slave to, you know, the conventional concept. I, I totally am, you know, view time in these uh, conventional dualistic terms, right? I, I, in fact, I'll actually expand at the very end of uh, this podcast to make things, everything clearer. I'm going to expand on how much my sense of time is giving me anxiety about my, you know, upcoming date with this girl I have a crush on, right? It, it's, it's at the root of so much of my suffering. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm suffering. So, but I will say that even just this intellectual understanding, just some surface understanding of the nature of time and my supposed place in it uh, has made me feel different. And I think in a positive way. That's why I really want to get into it. That's why this matters to me so much. Yeah, let's just get into it. So if there is no time, what's left is a sort of eternal, sort of eternal, timeless present, right? And this is by timeless present. I'm not, I'm not talking about the present as we usually experience it, right? Usually we see the present as like a series of nows, right? A series of present moments that arise and fall away, arise and fall away as we, you know, go along this linear timeline. Like, right? think of the string of beads that the ants walk, ant walks on, right? Going from beat to beat to beat to beat to beat, right? Now, 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 now. We, it, it, you know, arises and falls, arises and, uh, and falls, and like, we're, we're going past, you know, in one direction um, from past to, uh, or I guess it goes, depending on the way you look at it, future through present to past. Either way, my point is, there's a we usually view the present as a series of consecutive nows that arise and fall away, arise and fall away. But remember, if we kill time, there's no past, no future, so definitely no present, at least in the way that we usually consider uh, conceive of it, uh, the way where we uh, juxtapose it with the past and the future. Right, the present moment that I'm talking about, the present, the eternal now, is kind of a directionless present. An eternal now that, here, you know what? I'm just going to have David Loy put it because he'll put it better than I can. It is always now. It has always been now and always will be now. For there's something about this now which does not change. Something that becomes obvious when we stop trying to get something from the now. And this thing that doesn't change about the now is that it is always now, right? That never changes. It's always now. Here's what I mean. When we stop trying to fill in this lack by projecting our dreams into the future or dwelling in the past, right? When we stop trying to use this present moment to get something later, when we stop trying to force reality to become other than what it is and just accept everything, reality as it is, and let go we realize that everything we ever needed to be happy was right here all along and that it could only be right here because it is always now.
it is always now. I hope that starts to make things clear about what I mean when I say the eternal now. As Alan Watts puts it in his uh, book, What is Tao? At the end there, he's kind of talks about happens when we stop trying to get something out of life and just experience it for what it is. He says, when we do that, we're hit with, quote, the startling recognition that in the place where we are now, we have already arrived. This is it. What we are seeking is, if we're not totally blind, already here. Like in meditation, there's a problem, right? The problem that we often face is we think of enlightenment as, as something you attain in the future, right? And so you got to meditate every day in order to do this like fucking mental training, work out your like brain's biceps, so to speak. And you get better and better and better at it. And someday you get closer to enlightenment or at least like you're going up, 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 and you're going on, you know, higher stages of meditation and shit like that. But this is, again, our attempt to quell that feeling of lack right to satisfy it by like projecting a day where you know imagine a day where i'm gonna reach enlightenment someday or i'm getting better by doing this eventually i'm not gonna feel this lack this feeling that something is wrong with me or that i lack something i'm not enough i'm not good enough in meditation right it's just another way we get caught up in these in in time so to speak in our sense of time but according to loy the crucial insight of meditation is that there's nothing to attain This present moment, he says, the now, is where you realize that you already are what you seek. My point is that since it's always now, you don't need anything from a supposed future or past. Everything you need has been right here all along. That's why... It's so important to me to, to let go of the sense of time because it's at the root of our misery. If we just focus on what's happening here, in the present, in this eternal now, we're hit with the realization that how could anything else in the future or past or whatever fill in? This sense of that something's not right right now. No, everything you need is right here in this eternal, ever-changing now. Now, maybe this still doesn't quite click. So I hope I can wrap everything up by referring to my personal experience I'm going to talk about my anxieties about my upcoming date uh, with a girl I have a bit of a crush on that's coming up um, uh, that's coming up tomorrow or tomorrow according to our conventional conception of time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm going to try to apply some of these concepts about time to my anxieties, the, the anxieties I'm experiencing about the date that's coming up tomorrow, right? And hopefully that kind of wraps everything you know, summarizes everything and makes everything kind of understandable, accessible. I mean, it's, it's just, there's a part of me that was very scared about doing this podcast because I just wasn't very confident that I would be able to articulate things well. And I don't know how successful I was. In fact, very much right now, I feel this 
feeling of lack strongly. Like I feel like I didn't articulate it in a way that was clear or easy to understand. But the nature of this is it's kind of hard to articulate. I can't say I fully understand it, right? I'm doing my best, but I only know so much. But I can say that when I read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, like my sense of time changed on some level. It wasn't this huge shift, but even just this intellectual understanding, it's a different feeling. And I feel happier. I view my life in a different way. And that, that, so I just really wanted to do this podcast because you know, of all the podcasts I made so far, I haven't made many, but this one is by far the one I feel the most passionate about. I just feel like it resolved a lot of things for me that, well, here, let, let, let's talk about my personal experience and maybe things will get clear from there. So here, first, my point is, I'm not saying that we should completely do away with our usual view of time, right? Obviously not. If anything, it's clearly necessary and useful in this day and age. Like Without my usual understanding of time, without, you know, the atomic clock and the Gregorian calendar and shit like that, without that shit, it would be so basically impossible for me to agree on when to meet the girl. You know, this date would not, our usual conception of time made my date with this girl possible. (laughs) It would be so hard if we didn't have the atomic clock or time zones or whatever to meet up with this girl, right? Like, obviously, I'm not saying if your boss tells you the the spreadsheets are due Thursday, then respond with, uh, but Thursday is just an illusion. You know, it's clearly not going to work. But I am saying that this conception of time this usual sense of time is also at the root of our deepest anxieties. I am extremely, 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 extremely nervous about the day. Like if social anxiety is a Super Mario Brothers game, then, you know, a day with a girl you like is that's Bowser. That's the Bowser. It's like, holy fuck. I thought that. The mushrooms were scary, but shit, now I'm going to battle a obese T-Rex. You know, it's just like, holy fuck, this is the boss level. (laughs) It's social anxiety's biggest enemy. You know what I mean? And my social anxiety about the day, right? My anxiety is a version of the Buddhist feeling of lack, right? Like right now, I feel like I lack something, that I'm not enough, right? I don't have a girlfriend or I haven't accumulated enough growth, you know, by going through anxiety-creating experiences or I've never plummeted the depths of romantic love. I'm missing something. But if on this date I can successfully allow me to be myself and allow her to be herself, exposing our bare souls to each other in the hope that the other reciprocates and thereby experience a genuine spark of connection, then maybe finally, I'll finally be enough. Happy, complete. Maybe I'll finally be able to extinguish this feeling of lack inside. You know, the sense that I've always had that something is wrong with me as I am right now. Right? That's why uh, Ernest Becker put it well, that mental illness is at heart just a problem of low self-esteem. 
clearly, time is deeply, deeply intertwined with my anxieties about this event, right? Like the feeling of lack clearly tied to the sense of time. Like, for instance, I focus on the future because I want to believe that I can fill in this feeling of lack that I'm feeling right now with, I don't know, a girlfriend or I don't know, growth from anxiety experiences or romantic love or some shit like that, right? I project my dreams onto the future all while ignoring what's going on in the here and now. And while I, in some sense, like I just said, uh, focusing on the future, I'm also at the same time dwelling on the past, right? I desperately want to hold on to every second to stop time from passing, you know, to cling to the past, because the passage of time means that I'm that much closer to the day, right? To fucking judgment day. You know what I mean? With every second that seems to pass, my anxiety rises. Because in the past, I was safe, you know? I didn't have to face this shit. But if the day of the day comes, it's like, oh my god, I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. I'm not enough for this girl. I'm not going to be able to impress her. or this. I'm just going to fuck it up. Or I'm right now, as I am, not going to work out. I'm missing something. Also an expression of the feeling of lack, right? And all the while, while I'm fucking focusing on the future, focusing on the past, ruminating about the future, ruminating about the past, while I'm caught up thinking about the past and the future, I'm never really right here in the present moment, which is stupid because right here, right now, this present moment is all I ever have. It's all I ever have. So why am I wasting time thinking about the future, thinking about the past, ruminating, fucking getting all anxious about that shit? This is it. What if, though, I recognize that time is an illusion, right? I, I, I recognize that I'm not an ego self that can be judged, that there's nothing to gain from the past, future, or present, that there is only this eternal now that is everything I've ever needed. Then finally... It sinks in that the, you know, the happiness or the love or the sense of connection or the boundless joy or the feeling of wholeness, whatever it is I was seeking from the girl or the date, it's already here in this ever-changing yet infinite now. Again, as Alan Watts put it, in the place where we are now, we've already arrived this is it. This is it. So yeah, that's kind of um, a big diatribe on on time and shit. It's actually, the podcast didn't end up turning out to be as long as I expected. Um, it's definitely not the longest podcast I made. Here's my thing. If there's one message... I hope you can take away from this podcast or one message that hit me, you know, after reading Zen Mind's Zen Mind Begir's Mind. It's just, you're enough. Everything right here is enough. So just do whatever you're doing and that's okay. That's enough. Like you don't need anything more. You know what I mean? And you can strive to get things more, but it's not ultimately going to do what you want it to do. It's doomed to fail. But honestly, if you're striving for more, that's okay too, because that's what's happening right now. You don't need to try to change that. right? If you, if you can't let go of your sense of time, 
cool. Neither can I. You know what I mean? That's just what's happening right here, right now. But there's nothing to gain here or there. So just be with what's happening right now. Do what you're doing. And that's okay. Because this moment, right now, is all you have. Yeah. I hope, I hope, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure I got too sappy there or something like that. But it's just, you know, I hope it wasn't too sappy that I took you out of it. Maybe it did. I can imagine it that happening, actually. But, um, yeah, it just... I just feel really passionate about this because I feel it really changed my perspective on things. And it's not like I fully understand the Buddhist conception of time or whatnot, but I think there's something we can all learn from it that we can all understand. That, you know, because I've spent my whole fucking life wanting to be this like perfect version of myself an idealized self right the true me the true self right now I'm, I'm i'm not there yet i'm not confident i can't talk to girls i can't do this or that or this or that i haven't realized these things but eventually i'm gonna get there but that's the problem right i'm constantly chasing 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 and never here right now but this is life this right here is life and everything you've ever needed everything you've ever sought is right here in this eternal now if that sounds woo woo i don't know because it it's the truth <laughs> but yeah um i hope you guys took something out of it this one was uh you know this podcast was probably the one that that, that uh, I cared about most. I don't know if I was able to articulate these concepts better than others. You know, maybe this one was actually the least uh, easy to understand. And not just because the difficulty of the concepts, but maybe I just couldn't articulate it well, right? But, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now the podcast is getting a little long, I guess. But, uh. Long is good. Long is good. As any black guy can attest. Long is good. It's very, uh, it's very good. So, uh, all right. I'll, uh, I'll see you guys next week. I immediately, like, retract back into my, uh, usual conception of time. Okay, so I'll see you guys tomorrow. I'll see, you know, there's a past, there's a future. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.